Hi, and welcome to our show, Forever Paranormal, with your host, Dr. Bill and Ed, where we will discuss such things as cryptids, UFOs, hauntings, angels, unsolved mysteries, government conspiracies and cover-ups, witchcraft, the metaphysical, and more, as well as stories sent in by you, our listeners. If we can connect a paranormal element to it, we'll talk about it. And you may be surprised by what all is connected to the paranormal. Please don't forget to follow, rate, and share the show, since it would not be possible without you, our listeners. And as a public service, we would like to let everyone know that you are truly never alone, even if you think you are. The Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is 988. Just reach out. Hi, Deb. How are you? Good. How are you? Suffering a little bit of uh, seasonal allergy stuff here. You? Yeah, a little bit, but it's a beautiful day, and it's a productive day, so that makes it great. Yep. And the birds are singing and annoying you. No, mm-hmm. just teasing. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, welcome to this week's chilling episode. We're going to talk about a haunted plantation in St. Francisville, Louisiana. Louisiana happens to be one of my favorite states for some reason. I don't know why. And this place is called the Myrtle's Plantation. This is said to be the most haunted house in the United States. Almost every paranormal television show has covered this place at one time or another. The Myrtle's Plantation was originally called Laurel Grove, and the home was built in 1796 by General David Bradford, after fleeing Pennsylvania in 1794 with an arrest warrant for his part in the Whiskey Wars. I've got to ask, what is a Whiskey War? The Whiskey Wars was a bunch of local people that fought against the government, even though they were government officials, about some taxes that they thought were unfair put on the whiskey that they liked to drink. Mm. He Hmm. eventually was pardoned by a United States president, but that's another story. The original house featured six bays and three dormers on the roof in the mid-1850s. The one-and-a-half-story house was extended south, almost doubling its size, and increased to nine bays and 22 rooms. After the deaths of General Bradford and his wife, their son-in-law, Clark Woodruff, took over the property and eventually sold the house, land, and slaves to Ruff and Gray Sterling who doubled the size of the house and gave the house its current name. Did the general and his wife die of natural causes, or were there any suspicions regarding their deaths? I don't think there was any suspicions regarding their deaths, and both of those happened to be natural. After Sterling dies, his wife and their son-in-law, William Winter, managed the property, and he was shot on the front porch of the house But depending on which version of the story you believe, he didn't die until he entered and went up to the stairs for help, but died on the 17th step. Why was Winter shot? They never found out. They never even found out who shot him. A stranger come up to the house while he was on the porch, shot him dead, and fled, and they never found out who it was or why. What's the significance of the 17th step? You know, that's another curious thing because some 
stories say that he died immediately on the porch, and the other that he was rushing into the house, struggling for help, and got to the 17th step and died. I have no idea what the 17th step means. He was not the first of many family deaths in the house, and it is rumored that there were over 10 murders committed there. There was death by yellow fever, poison, hangings, murders, and gunfire. Remember, this is a time in the South where yellow fever ran rampant, and many people died of it. Whole towns died of yellow fever. Let's look at some of the death at the house. David Bradford, then Woodruff's wife, daughter, and son. Their new owners, the Sterlings, didn't fare much better. Sterling died of consumption, which we now call tuberculosis. We know William Winter was murdered. Of the nine Sterling children, only four of them lived to be old enough to marry. The oldest son, Louis, died in the same year as his father. Do you know how the children died? I believe in my research that they had mostly died from yellow fever. The house, again, changed hands several times with Milton Williams buying it to grow cotton. But when did the haunting start? Well, it seems the haunting started around 1817 with Woodruff running the house. There is no question that the most famous ghostly tale of the Myrtles is that of Chloe, the vengeful slave who murdered the wife and two daughters of Clark Woodruff in a fit of jealous anger. Apparently, Woodruff had a reputation in the region for integrity with men and with the law, but also was known for being promiscuous. While his wife was pregnant with their children, he started an intimate relationship with one of his slaves. This particular girl, whose name was Chloe, was a household servant who, while she hated being forced to give in to Woodruff's sexual demands, realized that if she didn't comply, she could be sent to work in the fields, which was the most brutal of slaves' work. Rumor has it that Woodruff tired of Chloe and chose another girl to force himself upon. Chloe feared the worst. Sure, she was going to be sent to the fields. She supposedly began eavesdropping on the Woodruff family's private conversations dreading hearing the mention of her name. One day, Woodruff caught her at this and ordered that one of her ears be cut off to teach her a lesson, to put her in her place. After that time, she always wore a green turban around her head to hide the ugly scar of the, the knife had left behind in removing her ear. Chloe wanted to punish Woodruff and his family for what they had done to her. Chloe had put a small amount of poison into a birthday cake that was made in honor of the Woodruff's oldest daughter. Mixed in with the flour and sugar was a handful of crushed oleander flowers. The two children and Sarah and Mathilda each had a slice of the poisoned cake, but Woodruff didn't eat any of it. Before the end of the day, all of them were very sick. Chloe, Chloe patiently attended to their needs, never knowing that she put too much of the poisoned flowers into the cake, and in a matter of hours, all three of them were dead. Just to clarify, Sarah Matilda is the wife? That's right. She was Woodrow's wife. Okay. 
So let's touch base on the oleander flower for just a minute. You know, being down in the south and around voodoo and all that stuff, I'm sure that some of the other slaves practiced that and knew that oleander could be used as a poison that affects your heart. There's a lot of that herbal hoodoo and voodoo stuff that we'll be talking about one day in the future. Mm-hmm. The other slaves, perhaps afraid that the owner would punish them also, dragged Chloe from her room and hanged her from a nearby tree. Her body was later cut down, weighted with rocks, and thrown into the river. Woodruff closed off the children's dining room where that party was held and never allowed it to be used again as long as he lived. Since her death, the ghost of Chloe has been reported at the Myrtles and was even accidentally photographed by a past owner. The plantation still sells picture postcards today with that cloudy image of what is purported to be Chloe, standing between the two buildings. The former slave is thought to be the most frequently encountered ghost at the Myrtles. She has also been seen in her green turban, wandering the place at night. Sometimes the cries of children accompany her appearance, and other times those who are sleeping are startled awake by her face, peering at them from the side of their bed. Now here is an interesting item to add to this. The house is said to be built on an ancient Tanika Indian burial ground, and it is inhabited by 12 different ghosts. Many say the paranormal activity at the home is due to the spirits of those who are buried underneath the plantation. Are there any stories on these other goats? Ghosts? Excuse yeah, me. Yeah, actually there is. And, you know, Myrtles is in business today, and they hold ghost tours and everything else. And we're going to cover a couple of them here as we go on. But um, I couldn't find background on all 12 supposed ghosts. Mm. Okay. Some of the things heard and seen are handprints in the mirrors, footsteps on the stairs, mysterious smells, and vanishing objects. The, the handprints on the mirrors is kind of interesting, as it is said that Sarah Mathilda and her kids are trapped in the mirror. I think we're going to touch on that in a minute. That's kind of an interesting thing there. The ghost of a native woman who is believed to be buried there is one of the many ghosts seen on the plantation. Then there is the spirit of Chloe, the slave who poisoned her masters for revenge. The spirit of one of her victims also appears in the house, but the other two are said to be trapped in a mirror. A young girl has been spotted peeking through the second-story windows. William Winter is the most famous ghost of the Myrtle Plantation because he was shot dead on the porch by an unknown assailant, and now his ghost can be seen crawling up the stairs begging for mercy. Out of curiosity, how do people get trapped in a mirror on their death? Well, a mirror is said to be a portal for spirits to be able to cross over and stuff. And um, good, good spirits, bad spirits. That's why you never want opposing mirrors on your bed because... Witches believe that mirrors help with transcending different planes and stuff, too. And you don't want to see yourself in a mirror because you'll get scared and slam back in your body. And it could be that the spirits are trying to come through and they can't actually get through the mirror. They're not strong enough. 
or they could have been trapped in there somehow by some kind of magic we weren't aware of. That's frightening. Yes, it is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The ghost of a young girl who died in 1867 also haunts the Myrtle Plantation. She died of unknown causes, but a voodoo priestess attempted to save her by performing magic rituals, which ultimately failed. Her ghost has been spotted in the room where she passed away, and guests claim to have woken up to a young girl practicing voodoo on them while they slept. Is it possible for anything to happen if a ghost is practicing voodoo on you? Uh, I don't believe a ghost can put a voodoo curse on you or anything like that. Um, I don't think a spirit can engage that much power. A lot of voodoo is misunderstood and they, they think, most people think it's just about zombies and things like that. And it's not. A lot of voodoo and hoodoo get mixed together, especially in Louisiana. And it's a combination of herbs and potions and spells and things like that. So, which you've got to put your intention out and conjure up the energy. And I don't think a spirit has the power to conjure energy like that. So, therefore, I don't believe they can hurt you. Good. <laughs> During the Civil War, three Union soldiers attempted to loot the Myrtle Plantation. They didn't last very long and were shot dead on the premises reportedly by Confederate soldiers. Some years later, a maid attempted to clean the bloodstains from the floor, but the stain just wouldn't come off. Some say they've seen the bodies of the three soldiers lying in a pool of blood in the first floor of the house. So the Myrtles is still in existence, Deb. Mm -hmm. You can still rent rooms there. Um, you can stay there. And it might be a cool place to vacation sometime. Uh, you know, some of the restaurants have changed where they're at, and it, it's still, it's mo mostly like a big bed and breakfast, I think, but it's still a, a hotel you can go to to this day. And, uh, you know, that, that might be a cool place to check out sometime. Like I said, about every famous ghost hunting show has been there, and a lot of people that do ghost hunts for different podcasts and stuff like that have been there, not just the TV ones. And uh, it's supposedly the most haunted house in the United States. So what do you think? Maybe up for a trip one day? Maybe. Maybe. I know you don't believe in this stuff, but, uh, you know, you might be scared of it anyhow, right? Yes. So if all these famous ghost hunters have visited this as mislocation, why hasn't anyone tried to help these ghosts move on if that's possible some ghosts are trapped some are residual energy that's just going to be there from the dramatic things that happen some are intelligent spirits which come and go things like that but you got to remember ghost hunters are ghost hunters most of them go there to just be able to prove a ghost is there or get a recording mm -hmm. you know an evp or a, a photograph or something like that they're there just to prove ghosts are there Unfortunately, most ghost hunters don't have any intention of helping the spirit, which is what I believe they should do. I think if you run into a ghost and a spirit that's trapped and they want help to, to move along, mm -hmm. we should have a responsibility to help them. You know, not just let them sit there and suffer for eternity and 
a trap situation. I know myself, I personally wouldn't want to be in that situation. Me either. All right, folks. That brings us towards the end of this episode, and thank you very much for listening. Until next time, we talk about another tale yet to be told. Thank you for listening, and remember to like and share the show. We would also appreciate a five-star rating wherever possible to help new listeners find the show. We welcome all questions or comments you may have about this or any other episode, and our contact information can be found in the show notes of this episode. You can also follow us at foreverparanormal.com. And if you'd like to support us, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash foreverparanormal. The links to these are also in the show notes of this episode.